You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Uh, today is the last uh, five weeks that we've, we've spent as a church looking at the worship of the church. And we've been asking this question, what is worship and how does worship form us? As God's people, as the church, we are in uh, what's called a covenant relationship with him, meaning he has bound himself to us in a special, formal, love, committed relationship. So that our relationship with God is formal in that it has form. Uh, and because our relationship has form, our worship of God um, has form to it. So we have a pattern of worship. Our desire is that not only the content of our worship service would communicate and magnify the gospel, but actually the form of our worship service would communicate and magnify the gospel each week. So we've said that form is important because form actually forms us. And we have this pattern, this liturgy. We're called to worship by God. We confess our sin. We're consecrated by, by the reading and the preaching of God's word. We commune with the Lord at his table. And then we're commissioned by the Lord as he sends us out in the benediction. Uh, as we participate in this weekly retelling of the gospel story, uh, our covenant with God is renewed or reaffirmed uh, each week. Today, we are just going to talk about the very last part of our service, the benediction. And you didn't think you could have a whole service on one word, the benediction. But that's, we're going to have a, 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 a sermon just about that. Uh, you may have thought that the benediction was just a fancy way just to say, see y'all later. You know, have a good week. Stick a Latin word on the end of our service and send you guys out of here and we'll call it a day. Um, benediction is a Latin word and it just means good word. It's a blessing. And it's very simple and actually very quick when we do the benediction at the end of our service, but we might say that what happens in benediction is very profound. It's very comprehensive. Uh, It's possible to say that the entire Christian life is summarized in the benediction. God blesses us for our own good and for his glory. God blesses us for our own good and for his glory. That's what's happening, not only in the benediction, but in our Christian life. Now, the reason that blessing is so powerful, and I think we all know this, is because blessing is a word of acceptance, a word of affirmation, a word of approval spoken to us from someone greater than us. It's a word toward us that kind of expresses a a positive or a desirable future. It's so powerful. It's someone of great worth telling us that we're a person of great worth. We all long to be blessed, but the deal about blessing is we can't bless ourselves. We need someone else to bless us, to speak blessing into us. And that's what happens in benediction. You could argue that benediction, that blessing has the power to change a life. Now, one of my favorite stories is the great story Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. And uh, this, this epic story, even though it's an epic story, you could say that the very beginning of the story or the seed of the entire story is a, is a blessing. It's a moment of blessing. You know the story. Jean Valjean, most of you know the story. He's in prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread in a French prison. He's released from prison. And after he's released, no one will take him in and help care for him because nobody wants to take an ex-con into their home. And so he's desperate. And finally, he knocks on the door 
of the, the, the home of the bishop in the town that he's in. And this bishop kindly takes him in and treats him with generosity and care and kindness. And the way that Jean Valjean replay, repays the bishop for his act of kindness is he steals a bunch of his silverware and hits the road because he thinks, here's my chance to make some money for myself and get a start on my own. And so he steals the silverware. The police catch him, take him back to the bishop. And you know what happens? The bishop covers for Jean Valjean. Says it was a gift, the silverware was. He even says in front of the police, Valjean, you forgot to take the two silver candlesticks that I gave you too, right? You can make some money off of these too. Why didn't you take these? And so the, the police set Valjean free to freedom. And this is how the scene ends. <clears throat> this is from the book. Jean Valjean was trembling in every limb. He took the two candlesticks mechanically and with a bewildered air. Now, said the bishop, go in peace. Sounds like benediction language. By the way, Valjean, when you return, my friend, it's not necessary to pass through the garden. You can always enter and depart through the street door. It's never fastened with anything but a latch, either by day or by night. These are words of acceptance. Come on by. I mean, the door's open. Stop by any time. Jean Valjean was like a man on the point of fainting. The bishop drew near to him and he said in a low voice, Do not forget. Never forget that you have promised to use this money to become an honest man. These are words that point to a desirable future from a man who's greater than himself. Jean Valjean, who had no recollection of ever having promised anything, remained speechless. The bishop resumed solemnly. Jean Valjean, my brother, again, a word of blessing and familiarity. You no longer belong to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you, and I give it to God. These are words that say, I bless you. You are a person of great worth who has a desirable future. Now go in peace. This is benediction. No one had ever treated Valjean as a person of great worth and blessed him in that way uh, before. Uh, the, uh, the rest of the story, he goes out um, and he gives himself in the service of others. Having been redeemed, he goes out and lives redemptively. Having been blessed, he goes out and acts as a blessing. It's a great story. I mean, I love that story. If I keep talking about it, I will start singing songs from the musical up here. And none of y'all want that, I assure you. Ask Nathan, because I did it in the office this week. I was singing. Um, Check this out. Just like Jean Valjean, left the presence of the bishop changed by grace, changed his life. In the same way, the people of God ought to leave the presence of God and gather worship each week changed by grace, right? God calls us into worship of himself. He meets us here. He renews us. He redeems us. And then he sends us out with a word of blessing. And we're changed people because of it. And the fact that he sends us out is nothing new. He has always sent his people out with a word of blessing. In the Old Testament, when Israel would finish worship, the priests were commanded to bless them with the words of Aaron uh, from Numbers chapter 6, the Aaronic blessing, not the ironic blessing, the Aaronic blessing. And this is what the blessing or the benediction was, and this is the way God's people were sent out after worship. The Lord, Numbers chapter 6, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. That's how they ended worship each week. Now, the benediction might have been the end of their worship service, but it was actually the only the it was only the beginning of their week as God's people. And so the blessing or the benediction was on one hand a blessing, on another hand it was a sending out. It was a commissioning. It was a go forth into the world as my people. And so I want you to catch that benediction has a dual focus. God blesses his people for their own good, but God also blesses them for his glory in the world. All right, I want us to look at Psalm 67. So turn there if you have a Bible. I think there's some Bibles in the pews in front of you if you don't have one. Psalm 67, right in the middle of the Bible. And this is where we're going to camp out for a little bit. Psalm 67. This is a song that was used in Israel's worship. And just as an aside, I've mentioned this before. Song has always been a part of the worship of God's people. The reason we sing songs in worship is because it allows us to express with our affections, with our emotions, what we believe to be true. Uh, There's nothing like music to, to drive theological, biblical truth deep into our souls. And so we sing them. And Psalm 67 is a musical, emotional prayer. It's a plea to God for God to act according to what he'd already promised in the past. And so there's common language that God's people know, but they're put into, it's put into the form of a song. Let me read this to you, and you'll see some of the language that we just read from number six. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity, and you guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This psalm, I think, captures the dual nature of benediction. God blesses us for our good and for his glory. And it joins together this, this, language, this language, these themes that we see in the Aaronic blessing in number six, and also in the blessing of Abraham in Genesis 12. Um, it's a prayer. It's a plea. God, would you do, would you act in a way that you, according to the promise that you've already made to your people? And so what I want us to see in this psalm is three things. I want us to see the promise uh, of benediction. But I also want us to see the purpose of benediction. And then we'll end today just talking uh, briefly about the payment for benediction. Okay, so the the promise, the purpose, and the payment of benediction. Let's let's look at verse 1, at the promise of benediction. This is the prayer. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Now this is language from Aaron's benediction in Numbers 6. God had promised to bless his people. Uh, He did it every week uh, in in, in the ironic blessing, and and yet God's people were prone to forget that. Uh, God's people easily forgot that his posture toward them was one of blessing, uh, that his intention toward them was one of blessing them for their own good. They forgot that. 
uh, just like we forget that. And so he reminded them weekly in the benediction, just like he reminds us weekly in the benediction. And so these are the promises we have in the benediction. And the first is that God blesses us. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Number six says, the Lord bless you or Yahweh bless you and keep you. Now, what does it mean for God to bless us? And the word bless is a really generic sounding word to us. I mean, we say, we say it after somebody sneezes, bless you. And it just, it kind of loses its weight to us. In one sense, when God blesses us, it just means that he delights in us. When God created people in Genesis chapter 1, he said, behold, they're very good. And he blessed them. He delighted in them. So in one sense, that's all that it means. He's saying, you're good. I delight in you. I love you. I bless you. On the other hand, it means that God is committed to our good and and seeing it through. Uh, When God blesses his people in the benediction... He doesn't say, hey, you're good, you know, uh, have a great week, you know, we'll see you next week. Good luck with that out there. What God says in the benediction is, I not only bless you, you're good, but I keep you, I'm with you, I walk with you, I preserve you, I shepherd you. When I think of this type of blessing, I think of my dad. Um, My dad, through the years of my life, many times has blessed me verbally. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, when I was in college, as an adult, he has said to me that he's proud of me, uh, that he loves me, that he thinks I'm good, I'm doing good. He, he, he delights in me as a person. And I got to say, for a son to hear verbal blessing and affirmation from a father, it never gets old. I'm never like, man, I wish he would stop saying that, right? I love it when my father blesses me verbally. But my father, over the years, has had a way of blessing me that that goes beyond that. My dad is committed for things going well with me, and he has committed himself for his entire life to making sure that things go well for me. And so when I was in college here at the University of Texas, he was living on the East Coast. My parents were living in New Jersey at the time. We would talk at least once a week on the phone, and um, at the end of our conversation, this is what he would say. This is the closer for my dad. He would say, how's your money? How's your car? And I'd be like, uh, it's, it's good, Dad. How's your money? How's your car? You got enough money? And is your car working? This is what my dad wanted to know from me. And it became a joke over the years because he kept saying that uh, at the end of our conversations. And he still says it today. I'm 43 years old. How's your money? How's your car? <laughs> it's my dad's way of saying, I love you. I'm committed to your well-being. And I will, you need anything? Because I'm committed to your well-being. That's the way God blesses us, right? He says to us, I delight in you, you're good. But then he also says, I'm committed to your good. And and, and doing whatever it takes to walk you through what I call you to. He blesses us. The second thing that happens in the blessing, though, or in the benediction, the second promise, is that he turns his face toward us. Make your face to shine upon us, Lord. He turns his face toward us. Now, God does not literally have a face. God is a spirit. God is everywhere. Uh, so what is the psalmist, what is, what, what is he talking about when he talks about God turning his face toward us, if God is present everywhere? Well, the face of God here is just his relational presence, meaning God is present with us uh, in a way that he's, not just in a general way, like he's present at the Grand Canyon right now. 
He's present at Barton Creek Mall right now. God is present with us relationally. He has turned his face toward us. After church today, you'll kind of mill around, mingle around, and you'll be in the presence of lots of people. But only one person at a time will have your relational presence. The person you're talking to, your face will be turned toward them and they will have your attention. They will have your face and you will have theirs. You'll you'll be in the relational presence of that person. And that's what God is saying to us in the benediction. My face is turned toward you. But you know what's even better? His face is shining. It's beaming. He's smiling. And so God in the benediction says, I have turned my smiling face toward you, and now I'm sending you out to go out and live all of your life before the face of God, before the smiling face of God. Corm Deo, right? For all our Nebraska wonderful friends that are here, whose church is called Corm Deo, that's what it means, before the face of God. God sends us out, smiling upon us. Here's the last thing that happens, the last promise of the benediction. God puts his name on us. This is not mentioned in Psalm 67, uh, but it's part of what happens in benediction. At the end of Aaron's benediction, God says, in the benediction, I will put my name upon them and I will bless them. And so benediction is a naming ceremony. He's saying, you have identity now. You belong to me. You're part of my family. I'm sending you out to represent the family name, which has a great sense of security, but it also has a great sense of responsibility. Go out. You represent my family. Because I've put my name on you in the benediction. The promise of benediction is that he blesses us, he turns his face toward us, his smiling face, and he puts his name on us. Now, why does he bless us? What is the purpose of benediction? Look at verses 2 through 4 in Psalm 67. What's the purpose of benediction? God bless us, make your face shine upon us. Why? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. So the blessing of God's people is somehow connected to all nations, somehow connected to the whole earth. Why does God bless his people according to this passage? So that he might be famous everywhere. So that he might be worshipped by everyone. God doesn't just bless his people for their own good. He blesses them for his own glory among the nations. It's always been true from the very beginning. I want you to hear just a brief thread of God's blessing in the the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. Listen to this. God creates people in Genesis 1, creates male and female in his own image. And in 128, it says God bless them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with image bearers. That's what I want you to do with my blessing. Genesis chapter 9, right after Noah and his family get off the ark, God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Blessing connected with filling the earth. Genesis chapter 12. This is what God says to Abram. For he changed his name to Abraham. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. From the very outset of the the Bible. 
uh, from the very outset of history, God has blessed people uh, with global intentions in mind. Whenever God blesses a person uh, or a people in the Bible, he does so with a view towards blessing more and more and more people. So when we come to Jesus' great commission in Matthew chapter 28, we can see it as a fulfillment of God's promise to bless all the nations. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus sends out his disciples, and this is what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So baptism is just a naming ceremony. Whenever someone is is baptized, God puts his name on them and says, you belong to me now. Does this sound familiar? That's benediction. What is each week in benediction? God blesses his people and he puts his name on them and then he sends them out to represent that name in the world. To what end? So that that name might be made famous. So that that name might gain glory all around the world. So that his people who represent his name might go out and make more disciples so that more people might be baptized into that name so that more people might be blessed and receive benediction. Benediction is always connected to mission. The blessing of benediction is connected to God's glory in the world. And you can't separate the two. Why does God bless you? Why does God bless me? For the same reason he blessed Abraham. Genesis 12, 2. I will bless you, Abraham, so that you will be a blessing. Abraham, you are to be a conduit of blessing. Blessing is to throw th- uh, flow through you. You're not to be a cul-de-sac of blessing where blessing just kind of dead ends and pools up right here. You're not to hoard blessing. You're to to share it. You're to spread blessing. Human nature, though, wants to hoard blessing because we think that by it, we will gain more happiness. We think, you know, more for me, please, and I will be a happier human being. And yet yet God tells us again and again that, that true happiness comes as we share, as we spread blessing. What do we all call a kid who has everything he wants and has no responsibility and never has to give of himself in any way? We call him spoiled rotten, right? That kid ain't happy. That kid's not happy at all. He's the least happy kid in the class, right? He's spoiled rotten. Blessing that is not shared just spoils. And it doesn't feel like blessing anymore. It feels like a burden. The benediction is a commissioning to go out and be a blessing. I love what Tim Keller says about the end of a worship service. He says, God never calls you in for intimacy without then sending you out in sacrificial service. That's benediction. So how are we to be a blessing? Practically. I think in Psalm 67, we see at least three ways, and these are, these are not explicit in the text. I think they're implicit there. They're embedded in the text. But three ways that we, that we are to be a blessing. One is we're to talk about him. Two, we're to live justly. And three, we're to build the church. Talk about him, live justly, build the church. Look at uh, verse two. This is talk about him. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. How do people know about the saving power of God? Well, the saving power of God is encapsulated in this message we call the gospel. 
Uh, so we are to share the gospel. The gospel, as we talk about it, is that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. No one could know that unless someone told that to them. Uh, the way that we know that ourselves is that someone told us that, sh- shared it with us. Someone talked about that with us. That message, that truth has changed our lives. Why would we hold that in? It is human nature to share the thing that brings us great joy, right? Because we want to spread the joy. We want to, we want to get the word out about the thing that makes us most joyful. So we talk about God's saving power. I'm finishing a uh, wonderful book right now uh, that I've been reading. It's, um, just loved reading it, although it's a hard book to read. It's a book called Unbroken. Many of you have read it. You know why I'm reading it? Because my wife told me, you got to read this book. And Nathan Sherman said, you got to read this book, man. It's great. And Lee Larkin told me, you got to read this book. And so I'm reading it because good things spread by word of mouth, right? The blessing of knowing God spreads by word of mouth as God's people talk about him. But the second way we're a blessing is we live justly. Look at verse four. We live justly. We do justice. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity or justice or righteousness, and you guide the nations upon earth. How will the nations know that God judges with equity, that God rules with righteousness? Well, one way is that he sees his, uh, the world sees his people living justly. The world learns what God is like uh, by seeing his people live like them. How did Valjean learn about grace? Well, the, the bishop treated him graciously because God's people put his, God's character on display through their own lives. And so we are to live justly. We are to live righteously. We are to do the right thing. And so in Jesus's words, what do we do? We feed the hungry. We give drink to the thirsty. We invite the stranger in. We care for the sick. We clothe the naked. We visit the prisoner. The blessing of God and knowing him spreads through the just or the righteous actions of God's people. That's how his character is put on display. And then finally, uh, we build the church. And I don't mean we build a church building. Uh, I mean we build the people of the church. We build this community. Look at verse 7. God shall bless us, and then all of the ends of the earth will fear him. So there's a connection between God's blessing uh, of his people and the ends of the earth revering him. There's something about uh, our community, the community of God's people thriving, uh, that points others to God. There's something about a healthy, blessed community, I think, that's more intriguing than just a single blessed individual, isn't there? Last weekend, uh, uh, we had the uh, Cinco de Mayo party at the Walker's house. They host an annual Cinco de Mayo party uh, that many of you were at and many of you have been to in the past. And this is a party. Uh, there's probably 30 or 40 of the Walker's neighbors at this party and probably 30 or 40 people from Providence Church. And it's just a chance for neighbors uh, who maybe don't go to church or aren't Christians to interact with people in our community. Well, late, later in the evening at Cinco de Mayo, uh, Brandon Reyes, who's one of our members here at Providence, was having a conversation with one of Walker's neighbors who's not a Christian. And this neighbor kept saying, there's something different about your church. You know, what, what it, like, there's something different about these people, this group of people. What, what's going on? 
And Brandon was trying to get at what he, what he was getting at, and the guy could not articulate. He was just like, there's something, it was, he, did, he didn't know how to articulate it, but it was positive to him. He talked to another neighbor later in the, in the night, and this guy was also asking about uh, our church. And Brandon, who's a new member at Providence, said, you know what I've learned a lot being a member at Providence is that, God, is that the church is my family. And you don't get to choose your own family, just like you don't get to choose who goes to church with you necessarily. But we're a family, and so I'm learning to love these people and care for them and be involved in their lives. And the guy was just like, what? (laughs) I was amazed by that. There's something about God's peculiar people, the church, that ought to be different. And I don't mean different like in a weird way. I mean different in a way where people are like, huh? What, you love each other? You care for each other? Jesus said the world would know that we're his disciples and that we love one another. And so if this group of people can come together from different backgrounds, different preferences, different generations, and love one another and bless one another and be committed to one another and not bail on one another when things get tough, that's attractive. So there's something about it thriving in here that makes a difference out there, out there. We build the church. We build this community. The blessing of knowing God spreads through the witness of a thriving church. We talk about him. We live justly. We build this community. We build the church. Now, the repeated ref- uh, refrain in this psalm is verse 3 and 5. This is what he says twice in this little song. He says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And it's a plea. It's an emotional, let all the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples worship you. Someone who is blessed by God longs for more people to be blessed by God. That's what the psalmist is saying here. And so a good question for you and for me is, do I leave gathered worship longing for my neighbors to worship the one true God? I mean, if I'm honest with myself, not usually. I'm usually thinking about where am I going for dinner, right? Do I leave gathered worship longing for the nations to worship the one true God? Do I ever even think about the nations? Do I pray for the nations? Do I give of myself in any way to ensure that the nations might worship the one true God and might know of his glory? The purpose of benediction is God's Glory everywhere amongst all peoples. Let me just talk for a moment uh, and we'll close about the payment for benediction. I think we, I think we usually, we get to that point in the service, it's the very end, and we take benediction for granted. Uh, it's the ender of the service, and we, uh, yeah, God's going to bless us because that's what God does, and certainly we're very blessable people, and so that's, you know, it's the, it's the benediction. And what I want us to catch is is that benediction is not free blessing. Benediction is very costly to God. Because how can a holy, perfect, sinless God look at a group of people who have sinned against Him, rebelled against Him, gone their own way, and smile at them and say, you guys are great. I delight in you. I love you. How can He do that? Holiness and sin are like light and darkness. They cannot exist together. And so because of our sin, we don't deserve words of blessing. We deserve words of cursing 
We don't deserve words of acceptance. We deserve words of wrath. How is it that God can bless us at the end of our service? Listen to these words from Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, the one we've been talking about up from Genesis 12, the blessing of Abraham in Christ Jesus might come to the Gentiles, that's us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What's that saying? It's saying that Jesus was cursed so that we might be blessed. Isn't that great? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cried out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, Jesus had lost the smiling face of God. He no longer was experiencing in that moment the gracious presence of God. He was experiencing the wrathful presence of God. And all that we deserved, which is wrath, was poured out on him. So that all that he deserved, which is blessing, is now poured out on us. That is the gospel. And the benediction reminds us of that every week. Week after week, God tells us, God says to you and me, Christian, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. You are my beloved daughter, with you I am well pleased. And so benediction is just like salvation. It's something we receive. My uh, former church that we went to for seven years before we helped plant Providence Church, I learned something about benediction that I really appreciate. And it dawned on me, it took me, I'm a slow learner, so it took me like a few years to catch on to this. But every week the pastor would say, in the benediction, he would say, look up and receive the blessing of the Lord. And I always was like, why does he always say, look up? <laughs> why is he saying that? And I started to realize it's because it's something you receive. Benediction is not a time to be like looking at your feet, you know, or like gathering your stuff in your seat, or, or it's not a prayer, so your eyes are not closed. It's something you look up and receive. And I began to notice at church that oftentimes during the benediction, some of the people would be, would be standing like this with their arms open wide to receive the blessing of the Lord. And I think that's right. At the very least, that should be the posture of our soul at that moment, that we would receive all that God is saying in the benediction. And it might be the posture of our body that we would have at that moment. Here's why benediction is so important to our worship, and here's why we end with it. If you don't go out uh, in a position of, uh, and and convinced in your heart that you are fully and totally accepted by God, that he blesses you, that his face is turned toward you and smiling, that he delights in you, that he's put his name on you and you belong to him. If you don't go out with that posture and understanding of who you are, uh, then you, you can't be a blessing to others. It'll be impossible for you to bless others. We're commissioned to go out and be a blessing, but the impetus for that, the power behind that, is not guilt, it's not obligation, it's not duty, it's the fact that God has blessed us. We are set free from this endless treadmill of living for ourselves or trying to prove ourselves because God accepts us in Christ, and so we're free to go out and be a blessing. It's great. The final act of Jesus Christ before he ascended into heaven 
And we know that he's coming again in the same way that he left us. But he ascended into heaven. But his final act was to bless his disciples. This is what it says in Luke 24, verse 50. It says, Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Isn't that great? And while he blessed them, he parted from them, and he was carried up into heaven. That was the benediction. Having been blessed, the disciples were commissioned to go out into the world as God's representative in a broken world. And so are we in the benediction each week. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.